So this is the molecule we produced by PFK1. Fructose 1,6-bisphosphate produced uh, in the third step in glycolysis. From this point on, we're going to break it up into two three-carbon molecules. And we start the, the steps where we get energy from glycolysis. So the enzyme that is needed to do that is called aldolase A. Actually, the arrows should be both ways. This is a reversible enzyme. It breaks down fructose 1,6-bisphosphate to produce two three-carbon sugars, phosphorylated sugars, dihydroxyacetone phosphate, abbreviated DHAP, and glyceraldehyde 3 phosphate. So basically, you're breaking the molecule in half. The top half becomes DHAP. The bottom half becomes glyceraldehyde-3-phosphate. You don't want to, don't worry about the details here, the structural details. But just know what is produced by aldolase A. Again, this is a reversible step. There's an, another enzyme that can take the top half and convert it to glyceraldehyde-3-phosphate. And it's called tyrose phosphate isomerase. As we said, isomerases rearrange molecules. They don't break them down or anything. So it can rearrange DHAP to give you another one, another glyceraldehyde-3-phosphate. And therefore, in the end of this step, you get two of these. So this is what I want you to think of. We're going to carry forward two glyceraldehyde-3-phosphate molecules. We always want to keep track of the carbon. You don't lose. Nothing gets disappeared. You know, there's no disappearing matter here. <laughs> so we have two three-carbon molecules that... In the, in the form of glyceraldehyde-3-phosphate moving forward. The fifth step is an important step in that it is the first step that is going to produce energy. And I want you to focus here on what is going to be produced. 2-NADH, the enzyme that does that it's called glyceraldehyde-3-phosphate dehydrogenase. Actually, two things are going to happen. Look here and look there. You've oxidized that molecule, glyceraldehyde-3-phosphate, and you've added a phosphate. When you oxidize something, always a good rule. That means something else has to gain those electrons. You reduce something else. So we're going to reduce NAD plus to form NADH. So this is an electron-rich molecule. And this is a type of dehydrogenase. We talk about oxidoreductases, dehydrogenases. So that's an enzyme and oxidation reduction. 
So the important thing about this enzyme is two things. It is going to be producing NADH, and because we're starting with two glyceraldehyde triphosphates, it's produced two NADH. And this is going to contribute to the overall energy output from glycolysis. You also produce an important molecule, 1,3-bisphosphoglycerin. I'll talk about that in a minute. But the, this reaction uh, is reversible, and it's import, or important to really keep track of those. I'll just say steps one through nine are all reversible except at one, three, and nine. So everything else is reversible. That's a good way. The, the rate-limiting enzymes will be irreversible. Everything else will be reversible. So we're going to carry forward two uh, molecules of 1,3-bisphosphoglycerin. This is a very important step, again, in that it produces energy. So you want to pay attention to where energy is produced. This bond here is a high energy bond in 1,3-bisphosphoglycerin. If you break it, you produce enough energy to allow the synthesis of ATP from ADP. And again, because we have two, we make two ATPs. The enzyme's name is phosphoglycerate kinase. it produces a molecule called 3-phosphoglycerate. So phosphoglycerate kinase is important in producing the first ATP in, or mo molecules of ATP from glycolysis. Remember, we used up two molecules in, the in step one and step three. So now we made two. So we're kind of even, if you want at this point in terms of energy use. Importantly, I'm just going to say 1,3-bisphosphoglycerate is the same precursor that makes 2,3-bisphosphoglycerate. If you remember, hopefully you haven't forgotten, this is an important regulator of oxygen binding to hemoglobin. 2,3-bisphosphoglycerate helps the unloading of oxygen. So that molecule is always very high in the red blood cells, and it's derived from this glycolytic intermediate 1,3-bisphosphoglycerate. That's really all you want to remember about that. Again, the important features are listed here of this reaction. Uh, reversible, produces energy, uh, and phosphoglycerate and this one here is going to be carried forward and you're just going to move the phosphate from the three position to the two position so you go from three phosphoglycerate to two phosphoglycerate enzymes called phosphoglycerate mutase again very important in that you it's going to set up the next step uh, 
very important to appreciate this is reversible. As I mentioned, most steps except the rate limiting, all steps except the rate limiting enzymes are reversible. So we carry forward two phosphoglycerate, two molecules of two phosphoglycerate. Here it is. You're going to dehydrate this molecule and produce this really very important high energy molecule called PEP, phosphoenol pyruvate. The enzyme that does that is enolase. Again, reversible step. However, this is a very important molecule that is produced in step 8, PEP. This is a high energy molecule because of this phosphate and this double bond. So, uh, so we carry two of these forward, which takes us to the last step in glycolysis, technically, the ninth step in aerobic glycolysis. And this is, again, a very important step because it's a rate-limiting step, meaning that uh, how fast this step goes, how fast PFK1 goes, and how fast glucokinase goes determine the entire rate of glycolysis, those three enzymes. That's what rate-limiting means. So, PEP, the enzyme here is going to break this bond and shift this double bond to a keto group. And in, in doing so, it generates, by breaking this bond, generates enough energy to make ATP from ADP and inorganic phosphate. Okay? So the enzyme is called pyruvate kinase. Remember, we, we've talked about the term kinase. Usually the term kinase indicates you either use ATP or produce ATP. In this case, we are producing ATP and producing pyruvate, the final three-carbon keto acid produced from glycolysis, aerobic glycolysis. So this is important, first, because it's a rate-limiting enzyme. Second, it produces ATP. So it's both a rate-limiting enzyme produces ATP. And third, it's going to be regulated by a number of molecules. And two of them <coughs> are allosteric inhibitors, and that's ATP and alanine. Both can inhibit this enzyme. This is really a very important enzyme uh, because it's producing energy and it's very tightly regulated. This enzyme is also activated by the product PFK1, 
fructose 1,6 bisphosphate. So if PFK1 is active, you have enough fructose 1,6 bisphosphate produced that can allosterically activate the last step of glycolysis in pyruvate kinase. Very important. And thirdly, this enzyme is regulated by hormones. Okay, and I'm going to explain that to you uh, here. This is pyruvate kinase. I hope you appreciate why we spent time on these covalent modification allosterics. This is all about that. So, this is the active form of pyruvate kinase. Pyruvate kinase can be phosphorylated by protein kinase A. Do you remember protein kinase A when we were talking about signal transduction? Glucagon receptor, beta adrenergic receptor, both of them will activate protein kinase A. But protein kinase A can phosphorylate pyruvate kinase on specific serine, threonine residues of the enzyme. That's what covalent modification means. And make the enzyme inactive. So by looking at that, you're going to say, you should say the enzyme is active when glucagon, is inactive when glucagon is high. Typically, glucagon is high when blood glucose is low. Okay, so the reverse would be true. The enzyme would be active when you dephosphorylate it back to active form, remove the phosphate, and that occurs when glucose is high or insulin is high. Okay, before I go there, I want to go back here. So the enzyme can be inhibited by PKA-dependent phosphorylation, which is uh, dependent on glucagon receptor being activated by glucagon. I want to say one more important thing here. Pyruvate kinase, there's, uh, this enzyme, there's a known inherited deficiency in this enzyme. And it affects, most importantly, red blood cells. Red blood cells, as I mentioned before, are extremely, on, well, entirely dependent on glucose for their energy needs because they don't have mitochondria. So the, ener the only energy-producing pathway in red blood cells is glycolysis. So if you have a deficiency in this enzyme, you are removing two ATPs from the energy output of glycolysis. Furthermore, red blood cells, because they don't have mitochondria, they're going to metabolize pyruvate to lactate and use up that NADH. 
So, the effect of this deficiency is to deprive red blood cells of their normal energy complement or needs from glycolysis. And because of that, you get a condition called uh, chronic hemolytic anemia. If red blood cells aren't able to maintain themselves through the proper energy output, they start getting leaky and they start can't pump ions in and out and things like that. And when they do that, the immune system sees them as there's something wrong with them and it attacks them. So they, uh, they actually uh, undergo hemolysis. So basically, uh, that's why you get uh, chronic hemolytic anemia. As a matter of fact, it's quite prevalent in terms of an inherited deficiency. Second most prevalent uh, deficiency leading to hemolytic anemia worldwide. Um, so, the reason I stopped here because I haven't, I don't have that on any of these slides. So I hope you wrote some of that stuff down. <coughs> okay, because that's an important clinical correlate to to remember. Okay, so now as I mentioned, you have uh, conditions where you can further metabolize pyruvate to lactate. And again, you're just reducing this carbonyl to a hydroxyl. You use NADH for that. You have two of them, you use two of them, produce two lactates. This typically occurs in one under one of two conditions, either anaerobic conditions, which occurs in multiple tissues, or in tissues that do not contain mitochondria. And red blood cells fall in this category. They don't contain mitochondria, so they cannot process that NADH any further except by reducing pyruvate to lactate. So in red blood cells, the end product is always lactate. The enzyme is lactate dehydrogenase. Importantly, step 10, this enzyme is reversible. Okay? You can go either way, depending on the availability of NADH. If you have high NADH, you produce more lactate. If you have anaerobic conditions, you're gonna NADH will accumulate and produce more lactate. If you don't have mitochondria to oxidize NADH, you're gonna produce more lactate. There's a third condition that has to do with uh, alcoholics and alcohol abuse is that alcohol metabolism produces as a byproduct of, of alcohol metabolism, produces NADH, alcohol dehydrogenase and acetaldehyde dehydrogenase both produce NADH. 
if NADH increases in the cell because of overconsumption of alcohol, it's going to push the reaction from left to right. And therefore, alcoholics frequently have what is called lactic acidosis, a high amount of lactate in the bloodstream, which ends up somewhat uh, in the tissue and bloodstream, and it can uh, acidify the, uh, the, the, uh, the plasma a little bit. Okay. So this is a quick summary here of some of the important, uh, these are the three enzymes. Also, you want to add here glucokinase, don't forget, you have hexokinase, glucokinase. However, only hexokinase is inhibited by glucose 6-phosphate. But remember that in the liver, you're going to have glucokinase, it's not inhibited by glucose 6-phosphate. PFK1 activated by AMP and this molecule, fructose 2,6-bisphosphate, inhibited by ATP and citrate. Pyruvate kinase activated by the product of PFK1, fructose 1,6-bisphosphate, inhibited by alanine, ATP, and PKA-dependent phosphorylation, which is dependent on the glucagon, uh, activation of the glucagon receptor. Okay? So very important there. Uh, one last thing, and this is important. Now we're talking about glycolysis. I want you to just look at the top part here, where insulin is. Insulin, insulin for now. And that squiggly arrow and the plus says one important thing. It says that insulin can upregulate all three rate-limiting enzymes. And by upregulate, we mean what? We mean increase expression of the enzyme protein. So insulin can increase the expression of glucokinase, PFK1, and pyruvate kinase. So there will be more enzyme molecules made in the liver when insulin is high. Okay, so that's a very important thing to remember. Uh, a general effect of insulin on these three enzymes in the specifically in the liver. And this is really a summary of the allosteric regulators. The other part is covered because we haven't covered it yet. So just focus on this one here the, uh, for, for now. <laughs> uh, we'll get to the other side uh, by Monday, hopefully. So one last thing I, before we go, I want to say a couple of things. First of all, I'm going to tell you, Please do your best to cover what we covered this week by this weekend. It's very important before you move forward. You don't want to start a new pathway when you haven't uh, completely covered the last pathway. Second thing I want to I want to spend a couple of words say a couple of words about this slide. I want you to appreciate that we produce pyruvate from glucose 
not shown really here, but it's, let's say it's coming from glucose from glycolysis. Pyruvate has many fates. One of them is lactate. One of them, it can be used to make alanine. Next week, we're going to say to cover a pathway where pyruvate can be reused to make glucose. And next week also, we're going to go with pyruvate being further oxidized to acetyl-CoA and entering the TCA cycle. So I want you to appreciate these fates. The bottom two are irreversible. The top two are reversible. Okay, have a nice weekend. I'll see you Monday.